Welcome to another episode of Problem Busters, the podcast where we talk to people who have ideas on solving some of the problems we see around us. And it's been a little while since I've been here with my friend, Jonathan. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well. We've had a summer break, haven't we? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. We've had a bit of a real summer in in the old Britain. A lot of rain and a lot of sun. (laughs) Yeah. Are you enjoying your backyard? Yes, I am. I am. I've actually mowed it like maybe three times so far, just because so much water, so much sun. <laughs> ah, good for you. Good yeah. for you. There you go. And so today we have with us a very interesting guest, Eva Publa. Now, Eva is an artist currently based in Budapest in Hungary, who deals with environmental and ecological issues. And... I like that idea of being an artist and an activist. So welcome to the show, Eva. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I guess, Jonathan, we should, as we normally do, start with a bit about Eva and how she got to here, right? Mm-hmm. Take it away, Eva. Yeah, like uh, how I got uh, to the art practice, you mean? Or Yeah, yeah, just a little bit about where you're from and then how you how you arrived at the steps that got you to this kind of work? Yes. So basically, I think I couldn't answer the question like how art came to my mind because it really feels like it has always been there. So as you said, I'm based in Budapest and and I'm from Hungary and I've been close to art ever since uh, being a child. But the practice that I'm I'm, uh, following now or, or what I'm doing now is actually I would say it's rooted in Indonesia because that's where I uh, started to deal with environmental or ecological issues. So between 2011 and and, uh, 16, I was living in Indonesia, first with a scholarship uh, to study at an art university there. And then I stayed uh, longer. So I would say like that was the moment or, or those experiences kind of pushed me towards this direction where where I wanted to deal with uh, environmental issues, not only as citizen, but also as an artist. Nice. So during those five years in Indonesia, was there a standout moment which sort of said, okay, this is why the environment is so important? Was there anything that you saw impacting yourself or anybody else which uh, sort of sparked the interest in, envi- in the environment? Actually, in two, like between 2011 and 13, I was studying at the university and we had a, a university task, like one of the courses, uh, which was called experimental art. Then we had a, a task uh, to form groups. So uh, that was also actually a moment where I was asked or inspired to work together because I used to study painting before at uh, the university in Hungary. So, and painting, you know, it's a kind of solitary process or how to say. So mostly I was doing it alone, but then we were asked to form groups and there was a location that was given for the project, which was the beach uh, close to the city. 
where I lived or where we studied, but there was no specific instruction on what to do or kind of what materials to use, only that we were asked to use materials that we find on a spot. And for me, that was one of the turning points, because then already before that, uh, with local groups or local communities, we were uh, working on cleaning, uh, let's say, riverbanks or certain areas uh, in the village where we lived. But as an artist, I didn't deal with it before. But in this work, because the location was given and the idea of using the materials that you can find there, and you could find a lot of rubbish uh, on the beach, then it was kind of obvious to use that. And this was one of the first uh, experiences that I would say, or I always mention when they ask me when it started. But it's also important that it was like nine years ago. And since then, my perspective on this topic changed a lot, like different experiences. In present, I would not use rubbish as a material or plastic waste as a material uh, for artworks because I find it very contradictory. But that time, that was a moment of, of inspiration or turning point, I would say. Wow. Were you surprised by the amount of rubbish that was showing up on the beaches at that time? Uh, of course I was. Then later I also realized that there is this question of visibility. So we have better infrastructure here, maybe, and, and you know better services to take the rubbish away. So it's not visible here how much we produce. So... I also don't want to, you know, create the image of a dirty environment, which is only characteristic there, or, you know, it would be, of course, very far from the truth, uh, I would say. Because I guess, or as far as I know, there is not much a difference. Yeah, as I say, it's a matter of visibility. So here we create rubbish as well, and a huge amount of plastic waste and all kinds of waste. But it's taken away, we don't know, and we, a lot of people don't even take into consideration maybe what happens after. So here we don't see it, but it exists. So when we throw the rubbish away, the away is still somewhere. Yeah, I think, um, Oli, I think the visibility is a really good point. I was reading um, a post from uh, Greenpeace UK, and they were saying that governments such as the UK government were, we pay to sort of export a lot of our recycling materials to other countries that will obviously, you know, we pay for the service <laughs> to, to move it. Um, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting. And, and oftentimes, some countries may even just put it to landfill. But it's all about following the change and that chain and having that sort of visibility, which is really interesting. Yes, and you know, it's normally exported to the global south. So like what they call developing countries. So that's the thing that what we see there is not necessarily their own rubbish. So the ocean can bring it from other countries as well. So it's a very, a very complex issue and it's really difficult to define like who is actually uh, responsible. But I have seen a movie a couple of years ago. It's called Plastic China and it is about some city in or village in China where they are uh, having these uh, kind of family businesses uh, for waste management in horrible circumstances. 
or that waste is also uh, imported from the from the West. So it was a very shocking movie, actually, like <laughs> totally depressing. <laughs> but as far as I know, the regulations change. So there are a lot of countries already who are saying no to these. So they no longer let uh, this waste arrive to their country. So there have been changes in the regulations, which is good. Yeah. And I think people such as yourself, I mean, um, you don't do it now, but bringing that sort of visibility to people through artwork and saying, well, look, look at this art piece. It was made from things that are literally found. You know, sometimes it does shock quite a few people. Um, I've seen a few art pieces like that as well. Yes, that was the original idea, actually, that time, like with that work, because it was a shape of a Nautilus. Uh, so the form itself was related to the location to the sea or um, sea life, but also the material to this human habit. Like what I said is that now I look at it uh, in a different way because what I meant when I said it's kind of contradictory is that I no longer want to create artworks from waste because it also has the risk of making waste uh, look aesthetic. So it's a very contradictory message. So I chose to go in a different direction. It was really, um, yeah, as I said, it was a turning point. But at the moment, I have different <laughs> perspectives yeah, on it. That's, that's very understandable. Um, if you don't mind me sort of tracking back, you were studying art in, in Indonesia. What was your earliest sort of memory of you being interested in art? kindergarten oh. <laughs> and, then, and I'm like my first memory now that you ask this question the first memory that came to my mind is that I'm sitting in the, at this small table at the kindergarten and I'm drawing one of the tales like for children so I guess then like at kindergarten I was always the kid who is drawing and <laughs> doing these kind of things so isn't it cool to think that it starts there it just it's so important for kids to be able to draw and create freely, isn't it? It is. It really is. Funny enough, my, my earliest memory of kindergarten was a, a friend of mine who's still a friend to this day, actually. I think he's a surgeon now. He handed me a AOL software disk. And I remember taking it home. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> which is weird now because I'm in software, but it was just really weird at the time. And I was like, oh, wow. And I didn't even know what it did. But yeah, that was uh, that's quite interesting. <laughs> and you know, you know, my my earliest memory of that is I remember people sitting down and drawing in a room and being frustrated that I wanted to go outside and play. <laughs> 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 and that I remember climbing on things yeah. and I remember crying when a bigger kid threw acorns at me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there's a lesson, perhaps if I'd stayed inside and drawn. <laughs> No, I think both directions are fine. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So tell us more about Indonesia and particularly, there was a story that you told me the other day, Eva, that struck me, which was about pollution and particularly in the air. Do you want to just talk about that and perhaps how that has transitioned into one of your pieces, which has now become a theme of work? Yes, uh, the work that we talked about is called, or the project is called Designated Breeding Zone. And the first version was done in Indonesia. And yes, uh, I had a residency at Home uh, Foundation. 
and they are makers, uh, new media artists, and there are it's an artist collective or actually a collective which includes not only artists but engineers and different like makers. They call themselves makers. So I was having a residency there, and how I work is non. Usually, I have an initial idea, but. I always decide uh, what to do or what to work with, uh, what topic to explore when I'm on the spot because I work site-specific and also I like to have, let's say, research phase. So a phase where I'm I'm looking for uh, themes and stories where I interact with, uh, with the people there. So that's how I start. But that time, like when I went back to Indonesia, it was in 2019, and then, yeah, uh, I got uh, sick <laughs> and it was much related to uh, the air pollution, I think, which is again, like everywhere in Budapest, we can also have levels of air pollution, which are actually quite worrying. So this is again a global issue, which I would like to emphasize that it's not like, you know, related to one specific city or country, but it is a global issue. But that's where I had my own experience at the moment. So I started to, that this was one of the starting point. And the other is that uh, certain green areas, which uh, where I used to drive my bike, they disappeared. So then I just started to dig into this and read about the uh, local regulations on how much green areas the city is supposed to have. I mean, according to these regulations. And also started to read about the ability of plants to remediate air pollution or pollution levels. And then with the engineer in Honf, we started to work on, on the first version of this designated breeding zone uh, installation. And it's basically an incubator, which is incubating um, the Sansevieria plant, or it's also called snake plant or mother-in-law tongue plant. And what I found in a study of NASA, like from the, I think from the 80s, is that this is one of the plants which is really effective yeah in making uh indoor air quality better so then i incubated this plant in this uh, module and it has a fan so how it works is that uh, the air goes into the to this box to this module and there is a fan uh which um like ventilates it out and it goes into a mask and then you can put the mask in front of your head or face and you can breathe in the, let's say, clean air, which is, of course, uh, symbolic. I mean, the mechanism itself exists because we were checking air filtration objects that are actually available on the market. But of course, I did it from like materials that are available there. So actually, I modified um, a box that they are using in restaurants and all the elements that I, I use in creating this object are easily reachable or they are available in just normal shops. And this is a symbolic object to raise awareness on the problem of air pollution, on the importance of plants. And... It was a part of an exhibition in Homf, and I also had a workshop related to it where we made even more 
using the same mechanism, but more simple materials. So we did other objects with kids during this workshop. So here they could also, or we could experiment together and we could also talk about these issues. So this is also something that I, I like to do is combining art and education or uh, somehow engaging people. <laughs> and just maybe a quick point, we will include a lot of links in the show notes so that folks can go and see these pieces and these ideas for themselves. How did you find people reacted when you had this exhibition? And you know, there's obviously photos on your site of, of people putting the mask on and looking a bit surprised, but also some of them smiling. What was the reaction of the crowd? I think it was generally like very positive feedback because as you say, like they were kind of surprised, the picture of a surprise and what is this and why and, and how? So it raised a lot of questions in them. So what I remember of the opening is that I was kind of standing there and because always someone was coming with questions and I had like, we had really nice uh, conversations and also the kids because the workshop was before the opening. So also the kids came and it was really nice to see uh, their reaction because their work was also exhibited. And it was for me a pleasure to see how they react in this space and how they relate to this topic. And it was a very nice experience that actually they were very sensitive to the issue and it was inspiring for me to share about these ideas or or topics. Do you feel like that common idea that children care more about the planet around them than perhaps some adults may. Did you feel like that was reflected in what you saw with people, or did you not see that? Well, if we're talking about the people who come to the exhibition, I mean, I don't think it's representative, or how to say, like, because it's already a selected group of people who are coming. Like, those people will come who are interested in it. So it's actually, like, when we are talking about such things, it's it's better maybe a better, you can see it more or better if you are working in a public space and not in a gallery space. And that's why also I like to work in public spaces because you can reach a wider audience. So if we're talking about this project, yeah, like if um, if it's a child or, or an adult, I didn't see difference in their sensitivity to the issue. I mean, when we had the workshop, or not even here, but in generally, like when I, I have workshops with kids, because I, I also do it with adults, but when we have with kids, yes, they are more curious maybe, but I think we also cannot generalize because I think a lot depends also on on the parents, like what is the environment, I mean, mm. the atmosphere that they grew up because, uh, where they grew up, because if their parents are already, you know, into these then of course the children will be more more open or, or they will know more about it. So that's a different kind of conversation that we can have. But most probably, like at an earlier age, we are more open or more, more sensitive or we care more for our environment and it may change by time. But I don't know statistics. <laughs> so this is just my personal opinion. But as I said, like, 
when we are in public spaces, uh, for example, with one project, it's a collaborative or a collective project with a, a group, and it's called Sabadon Balaton, which is a bit difficult in English because it has a meaning in Hungarian. It's called, uh, we could translate it as Free Balaton. Balaton is our lake. And this project is raising questions around, let's say, the challenges of the lake or um, the ecosystem of the lake. And we have various art events, interdisciplinary group that we have. So not only artists, but also social scientists and ecologists and engineers. So very many, you know, approaches are mixed and uh, added together in this project. But when we talk about the art events that we have in public spaces, it's more representative. So there the reaction is more diverse because there are people who are much more open for a discussion or, or for a conversation and maybe stay there for half an hour or an hour to talk. And there are some who, who just, you know, observe. And of course, there are people who rather go and swim and <laughs> because we have like concept bars with uh, concept drinks and concept food which are reflecting on the ecological processes of the lake so or phenomena so we have cocktails that refer to algae blossom which is a phenomena or mud cocktail or this year we had a fermented drink from local plants, wild plants that we found around the lake. And even we had some chips made out of plants that we found in the lake. So for most people, it's like very absurd for the first uh, sight. So they stop and they want to try and they want, they are open for a conversation. But of course, some people have a different mind. So I think it's normal. Such a clever idea to help people to understand what is in the lake. Because I, I live in Brighton, in the, the southeast of England, and I struggle with the, as a country kid from New Zealand, where there are very few people and people haven't lived there for very long, compared to the, the many tens of thousands of years of people in, in this part of England. And therefore, not necessarily because people are being smart about it, although that's part of it, part of the environment is just because we haven't been there so long and there's not so many of us. So here, I just really noticed that when there's a storm, then there's a slick of oil on the water's edge and people get sick. And so everybody knows that you don't swim after a storm because the stormwater drains get overloaded and things end up in the ocean that we would rather not were there. The thing that I struggle with is that people, I guess the ocean looks clean. Do you know what I mean? Until they realize that it's not. And maybe until, like you've done here, they realize that things should grow and live in this ecosystem that is invisible to us. And if we don't look after it, then these things will not be there, right? Yes. And you know, uh, now that you mentioned that it looks clean, so it's also interesting. This is a point we made with Pod, with the team. We do this project together. And that, you know, if we talk about the lake or probably any water, but now if we're talking about Balaton, the usual idea or perception of people is that the lake is clean when it's transparent, when you can see the bottom. While it's kind of a false 
perception because it, it's not necessarily related to the water quality because, you know, if the bottom is um, sand or mud and it's especially at the second part of the day when there are a lot of people in it and it moves. So it won't be so transparent, but it doesn't mean it's not clean. While is very transparent, but it has certain elements in it which are not good for the lake itself. So it's not always what we what we see because these are so tiny things. And with this work or, or with these bars and, and drinks and conversations, one of our points is that we should actually, you know, we need a change in perspective in certain aspects that uh, we should treat lakes as lakes <laughs> so that they have the mud, they have the algae at certain times, uh, they have, well, I don't know the English word for it, but in the sea, we call it seaweed. I don't know if in the yeah, lake. That's the, it's the same, yeah. yeah so, um, so I guess you call it lakeweed, right, Jonathan? Or lakeweed. <laughs> but these are all, you know, part, part of it, and, and we should become friends with it and not feel disgusted or something. Yeah. Yeah, what when you say about the lake appearing clean and not being clean is um the first thing that pops into my head. I think there's there's a lake in the UK and I think there's one in Russia as well that just appears blue and they they nickname it like a like the lagoon, the blue lagoon or something. But the one in the UK is is as toxic as like swimming in bleach. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad and you have like old cars in there and everything, but it just looks blue. So people uh, are mistakenly thinking, wow, this is great. And it's just, they come out and they sort of irritates the skin and everything like that. So they always say like, stay away from, because they're like in old quarries and, and factories and stuff. You always need to uh, think before you jump in uh, <laughs> and looks can be deceiving. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few websites, aren't there, in terms of safe to swim yep. that uh, have popped up in different countries. Yeah. Just on the piece of children um, having a noticing the environment environmental change, whilst adults are just kind of, I'd say, blissfully not unaware, but you know, <laughs> a bit self-absorbed. It, the story that pops in my head is the story of the two fish and the old fish. So two fish uh, are swimming, and they see an older fish, and the older fish sort of nods at them and says, "Whoa." Isn't, isn't the water great today? You know, how's the water for you guys? And the two other fish kind of look at each other a bit weird and, and they swim on for a bit. And uh, they look at each other when, when the older fish is gone and they say, uh, what the hell is water? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so if you think about it, if you flip it the other way, it would be the two older fish swimming along and, and the younger fish will say, you know, look at the environment. And the other side, like, what, what do you mean, what's the environment? Because they've been around it. They've been in the environment and using and buying plastic and doing all these things that are unnecessarily great for the environment, but they don't realise the impact. Whilst the, the young fish would say, well, you know, this is all brand new. This is all nice. And look what you're doing. Doesn't this affect this and doesn't think, you know, this system affect that. So, um, yeah, it just kind of <laughs> sort of popped in my head. <laughs> nice story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's yeah. so true. I mean, like it would be, yeah, it's, it's kind of impossible to generalize like which generation is wiser or not because, yeah, like we could or we should learn from elder generations 
also things ha- what they do did in the right way or also the mistakes <laughs> also from our generation i mean like all generations yeah but we should have the or keep the curiosity of children uh, because i think like if we are curious that can be used as a tool <laughs> to explore and understand yes do you feel that things are improving because you've been working in this area for some time, right, Eva? Do you feel like people are, I don't know, a good way of putting it, waking up to the idea that we live in an environment and it's a closed system and we affect that environment and perhaps starting to become more aware of their impact environmentally by the way they live? Or do you think that things are fairly similar as they were some time ago? I think it's a difficult question what we can consider as improvement because what I see is that there are more and more people who are paying attention to what they do or what their impact is. But it's not as simple as that. I mean, that's that's a usual, well, not a debate, but a usual point. Like, is it actually enough if we citizens are becoming aware and we are paying attention on what we do and what we consume and how we live when actually the problem is caused by, like, companies? Uh, So there should be a change on a corporate level and on governmental level. So it's a difficult question because of this. On those higher levels, most probably there is not much improvement or, yeah, I would say uh, not enough. But also what I believe in, what I always say and what I believe in is that me personally, I don't want to wait for government or others anywhere else because I would do what I can do, even if in the end it's not enough. (laughs) So... I think um, many people don't have a very positive perspective on this. I mean, like where we are heading to. But <laughs> I, I really want to live uh, with the idea that I do my best. And if everybody is, or if more and more people are trying to do their best, it may lead somewhere. So that's what I believe in <laughs> as an artist and as a, as a, like, I don't know, like a citizen as well. <laughs> I think that's important, right? And I think that's really honorable. My grandma used to tell a story of berries on the bush. And she used to say, if everybody took a berry off the bush, then very soon there will be no berries and then no bush. And so I understood from a really early age that we should always leave some (laughs) so that there are more plants and more animals and, and so forth and more fish in the future. And my entire life has been environmentally aware. And I am also an outrageous optimist, right, Jonathan? So I feel like I'm seeing lots of signs of people caring. Of course, it's also feeling quite late to start caring. But we all need to live the best that we can, right? That's a great way to be. Exactly. And because now we're also talking about problems and solutions, but what I realized or yeah I came to the conclusion because I was often using this word solution so with the art to find a solution for certain problems and and maybe it's too big word or or expression so because we cannot solve certain problems 
But what we can do is like, now I'm talking about like as an artist is we can raise questions. We can start conversations. We can think of alternative ways. If we're talking about design, maybe it's more, you know, design and technology. It's really like with design thinking, I suppose it's more really about like, uh, okay, there is a problem. What is the solution? So I really like this uh, approach as well, especially like, you know, when designing objects or installations that have a certain technology called um, element, like this designated breeding zone that we were talking about. But in general, art with the majority of art uh, projects that I do or, or uh, what I see is that, yeah, like the first step is that you start to talk about uh, things, you start to raise questions. And maybe the, what, the first step is, or one thing that we need to learn is to adapt to whatever is around. Because let's say if we talk about climate change or there are... Parts like you know there are things we won't be able to to solve or to to turn it back to a certain point. So what we need to learn is actually to adapt even to the unknown. And with art and with uh, with the games and with with certain methods in art practice, you can develop uh, this flexibility for adaptation or for a different mindset or for the love of beings around and I'm not only talking about like human beings but also non-human beings and of course there are projects uh, which I really look up to which are combining really art and technology and I really looking for uh, solutions to certain problems even on a on a local scale so we don't need to think immediately globally especially that everything is having an effect later so can you give us some examples of things that you have seen ideas that you've heard about now the first thing that that comes to my mind but i won't be able to recall it perfectly is one uh, collective called superflex and they are having or it's an older project of theirs but they had a project in uh, i think in tanzania where they are they were installing uh, biogas so I tell you, I don't exactly remember how it rose, but, you know, there are these movements where art is actually not about, like, creating something beautiful for a for a gallery space, but it's understood more widely. So it's basically more, if we're talking about these solutions, I think it's more solution-focused. And I think technology has a strong point here or it's a strong part of it and this is really central to one of the reasons that you got excited about this podcast project right jonathan because you are an engineer and and understand the built world in a way that that i appreciate the surface of but don't really understand what's happening underneath but i really i love talking to you about these things because you get it right and you can kind of see what can be done with it do you know what i mean yeah it's really interesting because architects sort of have the that sort of artistic. I mean, there's the whole thing like you ask an engineer to build a house and you'll create a box, and you ask a, an architect and they'll they'll sort of match it to the landscape and have these all these artistic visions that need to be put into uh, <laughs> into into fruition, right? So the two work and have a have a good balance. And I think 
when it comes to sustainability, I think in general, artwork, art and artists, you know, I think if you think of, I guess, like Leonardo da Vinci and a lot of the designs that inspire a lot of solutions that we have today, like helicopters and stuff like that. And even more recently, if you think about things such as Star Trek, <laughs> you know, that's you get the the little the the flip phone, like the little mobile phones, microwaves, you know, voice activated computers, you know, these kind of things from different forms of art. I don't even know if that if I've gotten a saying right. It, is it life imitates art or something like that? Or art? Im- I don't know which way it is, <laughs> but in this case. And in Ava's case, I think the ability to inspire somebody to create a solution is quite invaluable. And I think, Ollie, it touches into your field as well in, in terms of product management. I mean, all products ideally start from an idea. <laughs> and having an idea is, is, you know, especially a creative idea like the designated breathing zones. I think that's, that's immense because although the world is moving in one direction, where we are at now and where we could be if we're at a fork in the road now means that it may inspire a future engineer who was a child in the gallery, who was kind of like, whoa, what, what's this? Why, why? How can we breathe through this? Why? And, you know, and they grew up to be an engineer and they grew up to solutionize, you know, something that, that sort of scrubs the air of particulates and and, and you know and different gases and stuff like that so yeah I mean it's <laughs> it's wonderful to be honest <laughs> yeah that's one positive outcome possible positive <laughs> outcome the yeah. other possible positive outcome is that we uh, reduce <laughs> yeah. the you know the <laughs> level of pollution or like what we can do with our actions <laughs> yeah I mean the reduction in, in actions is really an interesting one because you can only control what's in within your sphere of control so western countries and, and you know these non-developed they've passed that developing stage you know so you've got you know like your Americas and your your UK and <laughs> and, your, and a, a, a majority of the European countries it's going to be very hard to sort of control let's say, you know, a, a country in Africa where you say you can't use fossil fuels anymore. And they're like, well, how do we get that pound for pound energy to develop where we are? How do we transport that energy? Because if we can use electricity, how are you going to transport that electricity over thousands of miles? Right. So it's it's um, whilst fuel, you know, put it in a truck and drive it down the road. <laughs> yeah. So we're at that we're at that stage. And hopefully, I mean, artists such as Ava will, will inspire somebody to find a solution you know that's what's amazing about about the human experience so what are you working on now eva and how how has the the designated breathing zones idea developed over the last few years well actually i'm working on that at the moment as well and i was in sardinia in june and having a residency uh for a festival which was actually uh, themed around or like its main theme was uh, breeding and that's why they invited to with this project but also an important element was to work with uh, locals there so I was introduced to a group of ladies it's a local association who are uh, I see them as uh, activists because uh, they were formed like 10 years ago when they were having a, a kind of, they stood up for to protect a certain area of their land, which was uh, supposed to be 
uh, used for uh, military purposes, but they want to kept it, or they they wanted to keep it in its natural condition, and they succeeded in their uh, protest. So since then, they, they are called Rimettiamo Radici, and since then they are functioning as an association, and they know a lot about uh, the local plants and wild plants. So when I met them, we were having a lot of uh, trips and, and trekking to the beach and to forests and we explored the area. I mean, for me, it was completely new because it was the first time on the island. And I learned a lot about uh, local plants from them and their healing properties and also what they are good for. So there are also certain plants uh, which are good for breeding, like for the lungs. So I used those plants in the installation and also we made essential oils from wild carrot. So we did all kinds of experiments. And then at that time, the there were two parts of the installation. One was, again, with this DIY <laughs> uh, mindset, I transformed wine bottles into perfume bottles. So I put the plants inside um, this inula viscosa, which is good for breeding, or the white carrot uh, and its essential oil, or the alicriso, which is a, also a characteristic uh, plant for the region, having a very strong smell. So they were put in this bottle and I made a top uh, in a way that there was like a tunnel to where the, the smell can come out if you push a pump. So this was one uh, new version of the designated breeding zone. And there was also a bigger space uh, that I created, which is a, a narrow, but how do you say, deep, like you can go deep into it. And in the beginning, it's high and then it's getting lower and lower. So you are more kind of walking into uh, this atmosphere and there was an upside-down garden of local plants uh, installed there. So basically you were walking into these local plants and you could disappear because in the beginning you were still visible, but if you really went until the end, then you found yourself inside uh, these smell or scents and, and plants. So this was the latest version and that was also in the beginning of uh, January here in Budapest. It was still a lockdown <laughs> and I was having the chance to make a public art installation in the street, one of the streets of Budapest. And that was a version where I was uh, using somatic practices. So basically I used one existing uh, breeding practice and also just made up one which is helping us to calm down and to regulate our breathing and also to connect to the environment and to the elements of the environment that are around us. Because what I saw or what I experienced that time is that people were really scared of the disease and because of that they were scared also of each other. So this feeling of alienation grew and... It was also very gloomy because it was January winter. So I wanted to somehow create interaction and maybe even if not among people, but to kind of have a, a practice which they can bring home 
And even if they don't do it on the spot, because it involved movements and uh, also like a breeding, specific breeding technique, but even if they don't do it there, they can do it at home if they are shy. So it's something that you can bring home and something that doesn't end at the object itself, I would say. So these were all the different versions and now I'm making a, a new one because uh, in a month there will be the Bucharest Biennale where I'm participating and representing my school, the doctoral school of the Hungarian University of Fine Arts. So now I'm thinking what exactly to exhibit from these uh, there and how to make it or how to fit it to that specific space. That's so cool. You know, something that, that really strikes me is how a, an inspiration can lead to an idea and how that idea can be relevant in so many different places. Which city was it in Indonesia that you were living in? I forget. In Yogyakarta. It is in central Java. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Can't think of much more distance between that and rural village in Sardinia, you know, <laughs> and yet and yet the same idea is still the same themes still true, you know? Yeah, I think it's totally a global issue. I mean, like both breeding or air pollution, or even, you know, when we think about plants and their role and our role as a human in this ecosystem. So these are in a way universal issues and there are specific local or locals, I don't know how to say, but like... Each place is different in one way and there are different issues, but kind of the root cause is the same and, and sometimes the outcome is the same as well, if we talk about air pollution, for instance. So what would you say to people who are listening, who are thinking, what can I do to do my best to improve things around me from what you've learned in your process? Well, I think... There is a long list of advice, like really practical advice that we can find on the internet or anywhere, like, you know, don't use plastic or, I don't know, close the tap when you are brush washing your teeth. But I would not focus on these at the moment. I mean, because really this is very easily approachable. And I think the mo like many people are already aware of this, but let's say the... The starting point or, or the, how to say, like, what I more and more believe and uh, focus on is that the root of all of this is that we should develop our connection with the elements of nature or the elements of environment around us. And I think if we try to see ourselves as part of this system where we are not above or so I would say like what I would wish is that there these power struggles or status struggles disappear from the world where you don't want to be you know the ruler of everything but you just want to collaborate with people or collaborate with natural elements it may sound a bit idealistic or <laughs> I don't know what's the proper world but if we really develop this skill of being uh, sensitive to the environment and empathetic, then I think it really has an effect on our decisions. So 
And then those decisions can have an effect on our actions. So first of all, I think, yeah, just let's be humble and appreciate what is around and, you know, just take care of it. And I'm talking about humans and I'm talking about non-humans as well. I feel like a better person just from listening to you talk. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Maybe I'm just a motivator or I don't know. But I hope that what I do is also, it doesn't just sound nice, but I'm trying also to live up to it. Well, something that I notice from looking at your work is maybe it's just my experience of artists. Art is uh, quite difficult to create a career out of in my experience, right? Mm. Um, perhaps you agree. And there are so many talented artists who don't get the opportunity or perhaps the, the way to be seen by people. And so many that don't find funding for their good ideas for years sometimes. So to look at your work, I look at it and I think this is really high quality. And what I mean by that is the construction, the design, the finish, the ideas. It's very refined and it appears to me, at least, I don't know about you, Jonathan, like each of your pieces have been the product of a large team of people, not one person working with some locals. So I I just (laughs) give you a massive high five. You achieve a lot. Well, actually, there are projects where it's not only me. So it's it's true that there are projects where more of us are working on it. And there are solo projects where it's me. And for me, it's also funny because what I learned is painting. But actually, I do everything but not painting. (laughs) So I teach myself how to use certain softwares for design and and you know I love to use my hands even if it's I like do manual work in a garden or I don't know work with metal lately <laughs> so I enjoy learning new things and also I think one of my hobby <laughs> is to leave my comfort zone <laughs> and to when I was work, like there was a time when we used to live together in Indonesia with a friend of mine and a collaborator, Lili Talp. She's an Estonian artist. So there was a period when we lived uh, and worked together. Now all of us are in our own countries, so it's different. But then <laughs> we always laughed that whatever idea we had, the new idea was always something that we had no idea how to do. But then we pushed ourselves to learn how to do it. <laughs> And I like this this kind of experiences where you have an idea, you still don't know uh, where it will lead you or, or how you will actually realize it. But you are, I don't know, like passionate enough and crazy enough <laughs> to go for it and do it. Because as you say, like, yeah, there are a lot of people. So it's it's hard to exist as an artist. I mean, for me too. It's like everyday sacrifices and constant, you know, thinking how, because you need to give up certain things in order to follow what you believe in, or at least this is my experience. But, and I don't think that this is only in art. I think it can be in many other professions, but art is something that is less supported because it's like less necessary in certain minds but I think those who really believe and and stick to their idea and their passion then sooner or later we, we find a way 
but just don't expect regular income (laughs) (laughs) and do side jobs (laughs) awesome awesome and that's maybe the most practical advice you've given to young artists right yeah Learn to write, you know, application for funding and forget sleeping. (laughs) No. (laughs) Very practical, very practical advice. I think we can move on to the sharing section, I think, Ollie. Sounds good. Do you want to take it away? Yes. So, Ava, this is the uh, section of our podcast of (laughs) Problem Busters, where we look to know a bit more about yourself in terms of books that that have inspired you and, you know, what tech is improving your life. So let's kick it off with um, who do you most look up to in the world? Yes, this is one question that I can't answer because there is not one person. There are so many people. So I would just say like people who don't give up even if it's impossible. (laughs) I mean, of course, there are situations when you need to let things go. But yeah, I'm not talking about those ones. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really good. I think that should include uh, Rocky Balboa from the Rocky movies. He never gives up. (laughs) Lovely. So what book or film has most inspired you recently? Now you will see that I really cannot choose one because here also I don't have an answer. So... I have one book, which I usually have with me or around me, which is a book on white plants. It's a very practical one because uh, it is a collection of edible edible white plants. I also have a project around this, plus an interest in using them in the kitchen. So this is something that is inspiring for me. And also I read a lot of books on psychology or self-development. So those, uh, the one that I'm reading now is about emotion regulation and certain practices, like practical, like instructions or how to say like exercises, which is useful for me as well. But I also use it or turn it into my art objects. So when I was talking about the public breeding practices uh, with the instructions on shop windows, and yeah, and of course there are art books where there are projects or it's a collection of projects on art and ecology and those are also inspiring but i i couldn't name one (laughs) i'm (laughs) multi-reading wonderful so globally are there any sort of projects i mean it could be from the books as well that has excited you uh, recently or anything possibly you're working on or going to work on yeah, the projects that I work on, are, they I find them exciting and inspiring. Both the designated breeding zone and also Sabadon Balaton, which is ongoing. So, and now, well, actually next week there will be a. I participate in that project as a curator this time, so I'm not creating artifacts or or, or the project, but. Uh, I was creating the concept uh, for the program and selecting the artists or artist groups that participate. And the program is called Sensing the City, which is part of Platz Festival. It's a public art festival in, in Budapest. And the idea was to include projects which reflect on 
ecology or environmental issues, uh, but I found it important that they are somehow having this element of sensory experience, so maybe relating to the five senses, and that's why it's called Sensing the City. And I'm really ex excited about the projects uh, that will be exhibited or, or that will be shown next week, which is dealing with uh, waste management or the, the practice of waste management, another with uh, the like certain agricultural technologies, and there will be one, um, oh, in English, it's like a sound walk or audio walk with uh, doing uh, soundscapes. And there will be one dealing with the topic of like the cycle of life. And it will take place in a cemetery, a deserted cemetery <laughs> during the night. So there will be a lot of exciting projects. I can send you the link later. <laughs> yes, please. That sounds that sounds like fun. It sounds really good and interesting, especially when you're focusing on the sort of five senses as well. Because um, I mean, around urban areas as well, it's, it's quite interesting to see how people who rely on certain senses are able to navigate if they're missing missing another sense it's quite it's quite good i mean in my family funny enough there's a few people who don't have the sense of smell really? oh, at all uh -huh. yeah <laughs> so that's that's really interesting because if you think about it, you can't smell anyth uh, anything burning um you can't smell anything you know any sort of plants or anything sweet you know, you can't smell if your milk has gone sour. So it's all these kind of things. It's it's really interesting. Wow. <laughs> yes. I've worked with quite a few designers who are colorblind, for example, and that's one that you would never guess, right? But it really helps them because it helps them to design things that are what they would call accessible, meaning not using colors that might look gray to them or to other people, but using things that are clear. But this is fascinating, actually, when you turn it into a strength. And you see that a lot, um, Ollie, right, with UI using sim different symbols instead of just changing a color of a circle. <laughs> so, so people can identify what's happening. Awesome, awesome. Oh, on that note, actually, Ava, is there anything, is there one thing you'd like to change in the world? What I said, this power struggles. Mm. <laughs> because <laughs> I think if there would be no... If there was no power struggle, then maybe our relation to each other and to our environment would be also different. I think that's a really good because a lot of, a lot is lost in that sort of battle back and forth. And, you know, eventually, I guess, a side settles or there's a compromise. But yeah, I think the power struggle is, yeah, if you remove that, I think a lot less uh, barriers <laughs> to achieving a, a greatness as I think as a collective. So if people wanted to find out more about you or get in touch with you regarding the event and how they can sort of see the coverage of, of the of the upcoming event that you curated, how can people find you? Well, there are there is my website, but it's www.ivabubla.art. And that's where I have my personal project and also some collaborative ones. You can also visit, but it's a bit difficult, so that's why I will send it, www.sabadonbalaton.hu. And that is our project related to the lake. And the festival, which is happening next week, that's plots.hu, uh, I think. Yes, 
Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, those will go into our show notes and they will appear on the Problem Busters website as well as in our show notes on all major streaming platforms. And there is actually, if you go onto Ava's website, there's an interesting uh, project related to a mask that uh, everybody can go in and click and have a have a good look at. <laughs> <laughs> One of my personal favorites. Yeah, it's so cool. That yeah, it really is. So Ava, I'd like to thank you for coming on to this episode of Problem Busters. I've learned a lot and it, and it was really amazing. Thank you also. I really enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> it's inspiring. So yeah, thank you for giving us the time and for sharing what you've shared. And I hope it inspires people to create, to chase the things that they care about, to be brave enough to make a little difference each day. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for tuning in, folks. And there will be more, won't there, Jonathan? We're back after summer. But we've got some really good episodes coming up. So thank you, Eva. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time. Ciao.